Good evening. Good evening. The word of forgiveness, Luke 23, 24. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The first of the seven cross saying, sayings of the Lord pres presents him in an attitude of prayer. How significant, how instructive his public ministry had opened with prayer, Luke 3, 21. And here we see his closing in prayer. Surely he has left us an example. No longer might those hands minister to the sick, for they are nailed to the cross. No longer may those feet carry him on errands of mercy, for they are fastened to the cruel tree. No longer may he engage in instructing the apostles, for they have forsaken him and fled. How then does he occupy himself in the ministry of prayer? What a lesson for us. Blessed be God, the, the forgiveness which he bestows covers all sins, past, present, and future. Fellow believer, did not, did not Christ bear your sins in his own body on that tree? And were not all your sins future sins when he died? Surely for at that time you had not been born and so had not committed a single sin. Very well then, Christ bore your future sins as truly as your past ones. What the word of God teaches us is that unbelieving soul is brought out of the, brought out of the place of forgiveness into the place to which forgiveness attaches. Christians are forgiven people, the believer in Christ, and their sins will never again be <coughs> imputed to us. This is our place our, or position before God, and Christ is where he beholds us. And be, because I am in Christ, I am completely and utterly forgiven, so much that, that never again will sin be laid to my charge as touching my salvation. The word of salvation, Luke 23, 42 through 43. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me. I'm sorry. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. The second of Christ's cross utterance was spoken in response to the request of the dying thief. Here we see that the man has come to the end of himself and therefore he can he can be saved. We need to see this dying thief as a representative sinner, a, sa a sample specimen of what all men are by nature and practice. By nature and entity against God and his Christ by practice robbers of God, missing what he has given us and failing to render what is due to him. We are now to see that his cru this crucified thief was also representative case in his own conversion. This upon which Christ's heart was set was the fact that very day a soul saved by his precious blood should be with him in paradise. We say again, 
This is the climax of grace and some of the Christian blessing. Please stand, turn to page 351, near the cross. affection John 19 25 and 26 now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved he says unto his mother woman behold your son then says he to the disciple behold your mother after the days of his infancy and childhood and during all the public ministry of Christ we see and hear so little of Mary. Her life was lived in the background among the shadows. But now when the supreme hour strikes of her son's agony, when the world has cast out the child of her womb, she stands there by the cross. Who can fitly portray such a picture? Mary was nearest to the cruel tree, bereft of faith and hope, baffled and paralyzed by the strange scene yet bound with the golden chain of love to the dying one. There she stands. Try and read the thoughts and emotions of that mother's heart. What a sword it was that pierced her soul then. The care for his mother in his dying hour was characteristic of all his conduct. He was performing the mightiest work of all history. He was engaging in doing that which in comparison the creating of a world fades into utter insignificance, yet he forgets not to make provision for his mother. The word of anguish, Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, 
That is to say, my God, my God, why, has you, why have you forsaken me? The crucifixion of the Lord of glory was the most extraordinary event that has ever happened on earth. And this cry of the suffering one was the most startling utterance of that appalling scene. He who hung on this middle cross was no ordinary man. He was the son of man, the one in whom all excellencies met, the perfect one. The greatness of Christ's love for us can be estimated only when we are able to measure the wrath of God that was poured upon him. This it was from which his soul shrank. Please stand and turn to page 222. There is a fountain, verses 1 and 5. <clears throat> The word of suffering, John nineteen twenty eight. Jesus, knowing that all things were not now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, says, I thirst. These words were spoken by the suffering Savior a little before he bowed the head and gave up the spirit. They are recorded only by John, and it is fitting they should have a place in his gospel, for they not only evidence his humility, but bring out his divine glory. Here we have the evidence of Christ's humility. The word, the Lord Jesus was very God, a very God, but he was also very man of very man. The Lord Jesus was not a divine man nor a humanized God. He was the God man. Have you ever noticed in John 4 that through Christ said to the woman at the well, give me a drink. 
that he never took a drink of water. In the salvation and faith of the Sumerian woman, he found that which is refreshed his heart. The word of victory, John 19.30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. This was not the despairing cry of a helpless martyr. It was not an expression of satisfaction that the termination of his sufferings was now reached. It was not the last gasp of a worn out life. No, rather, was it the declaration on the part of the divine redeemer that all for which he came from heaven to do, the earth to do, was now done. That all that was needed to reveal the full character of God had now been accomplished. That all that was acquired by the law before sinners could be saved had now been performed. That the full price of our redemption was now paid. The great purpose of God in the history of man was now accomplished. It is finished. Do you really believe it? Or are you endeavoring to add something of your own to it and thus merit the favor of God? I want you to picture in your mind's eye Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room eating the Passover. After they finished, you know, Jesus has said, one of you will betray me. And they all said, is it me? Is it me? I find that interesting that nobody knew it was Judas. And then as, as the song said, Jesus got up and he washed their feet. Even Judas. And then when this is done, they, they walk from the upper room to the garden. And Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John. And he says to them, my soul is greatly distressed. Please watch and pray while I go yonder and pray. What they do? They fell asleep. But Jesus was praying. And the Bible tells us <coughs> that he prayed and he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. Intense stress and fatigue on his body. And we wonder how he could hold up to that, his physically how he could hold up to that. Because he was just a man in one sense, just like we are. And after a while, the crowd comes Judas walks up, gives him a kiss. Judas, do you betray me with a kiss? You know, I can't help but think, you know, and we talked about this Wednesday night. Jesus chose his disciples. He chose who they would be that would follow him. He also chose who would be the one to betray him. He was in control the whole time. But you can almost hear 
a hint of hurt. Judas, really? With a kiss? And, and I always found it interesting that, you know, I think it was Peter grabbed a sword and cut off this Malchus, the high priest's servant's ear. And then Jesus reached up and he, and now, now think about this. We don't know what happened to Malchus, but for the rest of his life, do you ever think he ever went to scratch his head and felt that ear and, and for a moment remembered what happened? They arrest Jesus. They take him before a kangaroo court. He's accused. He's lied about. They, they, they twist his words. You know, ultimately, what they, what they accused him of was blasphemy. Because they said, you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. I always bring that up to anyone who tells me that the Trinity is not biblical, that Jesus was not God in the flesh. And I remind them that that was the very thing they tried him for because he did claim to be God. And then after this, he's taken before Pilate. Pilate's talking, Jesus doesn't say a word. And Pilate is, is astonished, and he says, do you know who I am? Do you know that I have the power to do this with you or to do that with you? And I wonder what the look on Pilate's face was when he said, you only have that power because I gave it to you. Pilate didn't understand. But you know, Pilate, he goes back before the, 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 the religious leaders and the crowd, and he says, you know what? I find nothing wrong with this man. He hasn't done anything. As a matter of fact, when Pilate came out and said, behold your king, I think he meant it. He knew that's who he was. But here's, here's, a, here's something that is so difficult to grasp. This man who lived in a culture that, that, that worshipped a multitude of gods looked at Jesus and said, something different about this guy. You need to leave him alone. And the very people who should have known who he was said, we want him dead. And we, we, we talked about, you know, Wednesday evening we went through uh, the last week of Jesus' life and how Palm Sunday he walked into, rode into Jerusalem to the cries of the crowd, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the, our Messiah has arrived. And the fickleness of human nature, because in less than a week, that same crowd is going to be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. At any time, Jesus could have put a stop to any of this. At any time, he could have said, you know what? That's it. I'm not doing any more. As they took him and they literally ripped his back to pieces with a whip of, of cat of nine tails with pieces of bone and metal. And he could have said, no, these people are not worth this. And you know what? We're not. 
but he did it anyway. Again, Pilate wants to let him go, and the Jews cry, crucify him. So he sentences him to be crucified. And for six hours one Friday, the Son of God hangs naked before the world. Shame, agony, beyond what we can comprehend. As the spikes are driven through his wrists and through his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, the spear into his side where the water and the blood comes out. For six hours in the sun, his back that has been ripped apart, resting against a rough wooden cross, which, you know, had to make it feel so much better. Not. But from the cross we have the Son of God who begins to speak. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What an amazing thing to say. You know, Jesus on several occasions told us and commanded us, He says, love your enemies. You don't get more of an example than this right here. That the ones who crucified him, the ones who are now at the foot of the cross, mocking him, laughing at him. He says, Father, forgive them. The Bible tells us that when he was crucified, there were two thieves crucified with him. One on his right and one on his left. And one of them says, hey, if you're who you say you are, save yourself. And by the way, save us too. You see, that man was seeking salvation from his circumstances. How many people do that? How many people do we know that walk into churches and they, they say, you know, and, and so many churches today say, if you'll just come to Jesus, he'll fix your marriage, he'll heal your body, he'll, he'll fix your car, he'll give you a new house. And they come to Jesus because of what he can do rather than for who he is. And you see, that's what this man was doing. You know what Jesus said to him? Not a word. Completely ignored him. But the other thief looked at him and said, hey, what in the world is wrong with you? Do you know who this man is? Do you know who this is? He's done nothing wrong. We are guilty. We are getting what we deserve. Now, notice what that man did. You know what that's called? That's called confession. He's admitting, I deserve what I'm getting. He doesn't. And he looks and says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, now, you know, I, I, he said seven things from the cross. And you know, it had to be difficult to even say one. But yet he looks at him and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. It's, it's you know, it was just a childlike request on the, on the part of that thief. Lord, I'm guilty. Help me. There was the word of affection. 
He remembered his mother during his deep sorrow. And he said, John, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. And he's saying, John, take care of my mother. Again, how many of us in that situation, in that, with that kind of beating on us and, and being crucified and, and being openly shamed before the world would, would have the, the presence of mind to think of someone else and their comfort? But he did. He thought of his mother, a word of affection. There was the word of anguish. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that goes back to the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. That cup being the very wrath of God poured out on sin and Jesus had to drink every last drop. And you see... As Paul says, when God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But you see, God the Father had to turn away from his son. You think that broke God's heart? You think it broke God's heart to see his son crying out to him and have to ignore him and saying, son, you must do this. For Roger Brazil, for Tim Brewer, for Cindy Baker, for Kathy, for Billy. Son, this is for them. And he turned from him. He experienced the abandonment and the despair that resulted from the outpouring of the wrath of God for sin. And this is, this is one of the things I think we don't completely understand is that Jesus took my punishment for sin. Right? You agree with that? But you see, there will be those that will reject Christ. They will reject the offer of salvation. They will spend an eternity in hell. And they will experience what Jesus experienced on the cross. Forever, not just six hours, but forever, the outpouring of God's wrath because of their sin. He said, I'm thirsty. The loss of blood causes extreme thirst. You know, it, it's such a simple thing here. He, he uh, you know, forgive them. You know, John, take care of my mother. My God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, by the way, I'm thirsty. It just seems like that doesn't fit. I'm thirsty. But the loss of blood that would have caused extreme thirst. But, but it, it reminds me of what we heard read a while ago when, when Jesus went to the well. And he said to the woman, give me a drink. But she never did. But he did. He gave her a drink. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He is the water of life. And then he says, it is finished. Now, 
if you understand the word tetelestai, it is finished. It was not like Jesus hung on the cross and just said, okay, it's finished. No. Tetelestai was a shout of victory. Whenever a, a, a king would go off to war and they would come back into the city with the spoils of war, they would shout at the top of their lungs, Tetelestai, Tetelestai. And Jesus, it says, cried out and said, it is finished. It's done. It's paid in full. It's accomplished. You know, let me ask you a question. What's he talking about? Well, you go all the way back to the beginning of his ministry. John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus said it is finished, you know what he meant? The sin of the world was gone. He had paid the victory. It was done. Paid in full. Redemption was accomplished. And then we get to Luke 23, 46, it says, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. These words set before us the last act of the Savior before he died. Seven times he spoke. Three of his utterances concerned men. To one, he gave the promise that he would be with him that day in paradise. To another, he uh, entrusted his mother to, to the spectators. He made the mention of his thirst. And three of his utterances were addressed to God. To the Father, he prayed for his murderers. Forgive them. To God, he uttered his mournful cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now into the hands of the Father, he commends his spirit. In the hearing of God, men, angels, and Satan, he cried and triumphed. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's noteworthy that this closing cry of the Savior was uttered. By the spirit of prophecy long centuries before Jesus ever said it from the cross. Psalm 31, 1 through 5 says, In you, O Yahweh, have I taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness protect me. Incline your ear to me. Deliver me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a fortress to save me. For you are my high rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will bring me out of the net which you have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Yahweh, God of truth. It was an act of contentment. He said, it is finished. Now I'm going to go now. That's what he said. I'm going to go now. And, and it's interesting because you see, no human being in the history of the world could do what Jesus did right here. And I'm talking about when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it says, and then he gave up the ghost. Nobody can do that ever. But you know why he could do it? Because he is the way, the truth, and the what? Life. 
He is the one who holds life in his hands. The person to whom he committed this precious treasure of his spirit was his own father. You know, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible is John chapter 17. It's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus where he and this takes place between the time that he ate the Passover with his disciples and the time that he's arrested and betrayed and arrested it takes place that same night. And he prays to the father. And basically what he prays is this father, take care of them till I get back. <laughs> that's probably that's basically what he prayed. Those you gave me, you take care of them. I promise to watch over them and take care of them. But, Father, I have to go take care of this thing over here. You watch them till I get back. And the Father did. You know what? And Jesus came back, by the way. But voluntarily the Savior delivered himself into the hands of sinners. And now he voluntarily delivers his spirit into the hands of the Father. But never again. Will he be in the hands of men? Never again will he be at the mercy of the wicked. Never again will he suffer shame. Someone has well said that Jesus came the first time to save men in sin. Jesus will come the next time to judge men in sin. Into the hands of the Father, he commits himself, and the Father will now be satisfied. The wrath of God has been taken care of. Jesus did this from there upon the cross. And Jesus died. Literally died. They took him and they put him in a borrowed tomb. Now, we talked about this Wednesday night, how interesting it is that it, they, that it calls it a borrowed tomb. I mean, when I die, you know, Roger, Cindy's going to come say, hey, Roger, can we borrow one of your graves? It won't need it very long. You can have it when we're done with it. A borrowed tomb. It kind of gives you the idea that somebody knew what was going to happen before it happened. And, you know, I, I was telling them Wednesday night, you know, the, the, the Greek, I think it's the Greek word where we get our, that, that's grave is the English word. Y'all ready for this? Motel. <laughs> Motel. Just a place to spend the night. Now, I'm going to tell you all, like I told them Wednesday night, there's more to this story. And if you want to know what it is, you've got to be here Sunday morning. I'm not going to spoil it for you. It, it, it turns out better than you might think. Uh, we all know what happens. Amen. That third day he rose from the dead. I, you know, I, I hope that. Sunday morning by the time I have finished with my message that you understand the significance of that because I, I think sometimes we don't even as believers I don't think we understand the significance of the resurrection and exactly and what that means not just for me right here right now but for the future for eternity <clears throat> but this Savior 
All these things that he said were significant. They meant something. God never just speaks out of turn. When he says something, we are told to listen. Of all the things that Jesus said, I personally think the greatest was on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he gave up the ghost. He just said, that's it, I'm done. Going home now. I mean, that is so simplistic, it's hard for us to comprehend. I could say, you know, my life is so terrible, I think I'm just going to die. So, God, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit, and I'm going to die right now. But it ain't going to. You know why? I don't have that authority. I don't have that power. But when you are the way, the truth, and the life, when you are the one who is the very embodiment of life, you can say, that's it, I'm gone. It's done. I'm going to go lay down for a while, but I'll be back. <laughs> I love that. You know? So, you know, let, let us over tonight, tomorrow, Take time. Get into your Bible and meditate on the words that Jesus said. Follow, follow the whole thing from the, from the time that he ate the Passover to the time he, he was put into the grave. Read it from all the Gospels. There, there is so much there. You could not believe how much stuff took place just in one night. Thursday night. That was the busiest night of all. And Jesus, you know, we, we talked about this Wednesday night. Cha John chapter 13 through 18 all took place between the Passover and the Garden of Gethsemane. He did a lot of teaching in that time. They had to stop because it wasn't that far. But let's, let's take time and, and think about it and, and say, Lord, why did you do that for me? Why me? I don't deserve this. And by the way, if you think you do, you have no idea what the gospel is. Lord, I'm a vile sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, I'm not worthy. You and I, we deserve the deepest, darkest corner of hell there is. All of us. But Jesus said, I'm going to go there for you. That death, that cross that he was crucified on had your name on it. It had my name on it. And the wrath of God was poured out. Father, oh God, what a, what a strange thing for us, Lord, to... To try to understand what you have done. That while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive in Christ. This one who lived a life of healing the sick, 
of ministering to the hurting, to loving the unlovable, was taken by the cruel hands of men and nailed to a Roman cross for his troubles. But, oh God, we are so grateful tonight. We thank you, Father, that this was not an accident. This was not outside your plan and purpose. That from the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain. And, Father, that we would remember that it was for my sin that he died. But, Father, that it was for me he prayed, forgive them. It was for me he said, today you will be with me. It was for me that he said, it is finished. So, Lord, may we take the time to meditate upon your word, to, comp to, to just pray, Father, and, and show us, give us some sense of what Jesus endured on our behalf. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.